Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, December 3rd. Do nothing for applause. Act for the far more satisfying approval of your own conscience. Someone once asked me, what has motivated you to do all the things you've done in your life? Conscience? Yes, certainly. But conscience in reaction to the sorrows I had seen in the world, brought on by people's ignorance of who and what they really were, as children of our universal Father-Mother God. Hmm. It's really interesting. I think you may have heard me tell this story before, but I'm going to start with it. Swami Kriyananda was a guest on this Meeting of the Ways program, I think is what it was, which was these um, multi-faith celebrations that were held in San Francisco in the 70s and the 80s. And as part of the multi-day event, all of the presenters, who were really, you know, quite a, a really impressive array of, of New Age thinkers and spiritual leaders, because that was really quite a rich period of time in the development of self-realization, new ways of thinking in America. And, and San Francisco was the heart of it. Swami Kriyananda was there. He wasn't really as much a part of the scene as some were, but nonetheless he was there. And one of the events was a kind of informal gathering among the presenters with the organizers and various others. And Swami was in a conversation with this woman and just chatting about this and that, and at some point um, he asked her what her name was, or they hadn't introduced each other, so he found out what her name was, and then he said his name was Swami Kriyananda. And she was quite startled that she was talking to Swami Kriyananda. He, wasn't, he was dressed in ordinary Western clothes, and he's a, he's a Western man. He, he wasn't an Indian teacher in San Francisco. He was an American. And she was quite startled to find out that he was one of the presenters and a relatively uh, well-known one. And she said, but you're famous like that. And he said, well... Perhaps my name is known, but why do you say but? And she said, well, every other famous person I've always met seems important. And Swami loved telling that story because he thought it was an immense compliment to him. Because, of course, what she meant seems important was seems important to themselves. Well, here I am, and after all, my name is <clears throat> Swami Kriyananda, you know, and you know what that means. You, you've seen people like that. And sometimes they're just amusing and sometimes they're annoying, but they somehow think that they, they're different. They should be treated differently because, after all, they're well-known. People applaud them. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard in this age of Internet celebrities, you know, you hear that someone is a YouTube celebrity or something like that where they've just become known for being themselves or for what they do, and I don't object. I mean, that's... I'm, I'm on YouTube also, and I work hard to make sure that as many people as possible know that I'm there. You know, I have a large channel with a reasonable following. I'm, I'm a tiny person compared to what people really are, and I'm very, very glad of that. 
But I've heard that a lot of young people, when you ask them what they want to be, they'll say, famous. I just want to be well-known. And you think, oh dear. (laughs) You know, it's like, then do I think about how to get notoriety? And of course, you can find ways to get notoriety. But in the end, what do you have? People know my name. People know who I am. Like, but why do they know who you are? What are you known for? And when you're all by yourself and nobody's applauding you, like, how do you feel inside your own heart? Do you really feel like this life has been worth living? You know, I've been um, on the spiritual path that I'm on since I was, well, since 1969 I met Swami and for three years prior to that, many, many years of my life. I love being older. I absolutely adore being older. I'm not at all like... I had a friend of mine who was quite traumatized when she turned 50. And then she was even more traumatized when she turned 51. I mean, I had to be sympathetic because it was real to her. But but she said to me like this on her 51st birthday, she said, somehow I thought when I got to 50 it would stop. (laughs) And of course she realized there's no stopping it. We just get older and older and older. But for me, and I'm now 73, I love being older because I feel I have not wasted this life. And I mean, I've accomplished a few things. I can, I can point to a few contributions that I've made. Whether they'll live beyond the brief span of my life is not that important to me. But it isn't the contributions that I've made. It's that I've done what I set out to do which is I wanted a life of meaning, and I found one. I had a very interesting conversation with this young, uh, young woman. Uh, she, was in, she, was a, she was a student at Stanford University, actually, so she would have been quite young, because I live, the Ananda community I live in is right across from Stanford. And uh, she was very drawn to this path, and I, I, she was a very fine person. And I really wanted to, I wanted to give her the opportunity to see if this was the right course for her. But she had many desires, Um, not bad desires, but desires. She wanted a home, she wanted a family, she wanted children, she wanted a career. Just had various things that she wanted. And she was afraid because the idea of renunciation and transcending the ego is, is, is pretty close to the the core of what we're doing, and her understanding of that sounded to her like deprivation. It did not sound like fulfillment to her, it sounded like deprivation. So I was probably as old as her mother would have been. I was probably close to 50 or in my 40s when I met her. And she asked me if I was happy, you know, meaning you've chosen this life of Ananda, are you happy? Well, I said, you know, everybody has good and bad days. And I said, but even that question, happy, you know, what is happy? People often who are unhappy or don't want to admit it anyway. We don't want to say that it hasn't worked out well for me. We just shine on or say, well, I'm as happy as I could expect to be. I'm as happy as anybody else. So I said, I'm going to give you a different question and answer. And I, was, I spoke. I said, I was always very idealistic, even from a very young age. It was partly the way I was raised, but it was who I was. That's why I was born into that family. Very high standards, 
of, of honesty and ethics, you know, just of, of integrity. That's what I would say. I was raised with a high regard for integrity and that what I, everything I, I did and everything I contributed to I needed to have a high level of integrity. I was very idealistic. And I said, in my life with Ananda, and now, I've, now tw- I'm twice as long in it at this point even more, and I'll say the same thing. I have never had to compromise my ideals. I've had to sometimes rethink how to express them. And I, but I don't. That's not a. That's not a clever way of saying that I've compromised. I've never had to. I've never had to corrupt my integrity to live the life that I've lived. I've had to grow. I've had to be less naive. I've had to be more creative. I've had to be much more subtle in understanding even what my ideals are. But I've never had to. I've never had to step away from them. I've been. I've been able to live with as close as I am capable with integrity. Believe me, that's a lot. And I I sort of sit in the position I am after all these years, and I think that's the only thing that matters. You know, if I was sitting here now and realized that my my life was a disappointment, my life was a disappointment on on the level of who I wanted to be at this stage, but it isn't because I didn't do it for the applause. I did it because it was what my conscience told me to do. And Swami writes so sweetly here. You know, it was my conscience, but not the conscience in the sense that I felt guilty. It was just as he put it. He said he had this deep desire to help people. When I first met Swami Kriyananda, I was so frustrated. By that point, I, had, I understood the principles of self-realization, but I could not figure out how to translate it into a way of life. My life was just going on in its perfectly ordinary way. Now I had this high possibility. I could not figure out how to make it happen. Now, now I'm much more, much more refined in my understanding, and I, I genuinely realize that I could have carved a spot for myself anywhere. It was really coming from in me, but I needed much more training before I was able to understand that. And I, and I also really wanted to help people. I just had this sensation that somehow a life of service was the life that I wanted. But I couldn't think of how to do that with integrity. And I couldn't figure out how to do that in a way that I believed in so completely that I could use all the energy I had because I knew I had so much energy. I just, I couldn't figure it out. So my intention at that time was to be the mother of as many children as I could give birth to because I thought 12 children would probably take all the energy I had. And if I raised them well, I could, I could be proud of that. You know, now there's many ways I think of that I could have done, but none of them were my path. But then I met Swami Kriyananda and what I saw in him, well, let me, let me phrase it differently. I said, I wanted a life... I, I, I didn't have something that I believed in enough that I could really give to other people with, com- with a complete sense of integrity. That's what I'm trying to say. I just didn't, I didn't have a cause. And then when I met Swami Kriyananda, and I, I hadn't even read Autobiography of a Yogi. I owned it, but I hadn't read it. I really didn't know Yogananda. I, I certainly didn't feel myself a disciple of Yogananda. I was inspired by Ramakrishna, who's another great teacher. But there I was. But um, 
Swamiji was starting a community, so it was a way of life, and he had to retreat. So it wasn't that we were going into a cave and pulling the door in after us. It was, I could find meaning in my own life, and I could share that meaning with others. By having a retreat, what I meant was the community, the community was there to serve all those who wanted to come. And it was, it was just like, this is it. You know, this is what I want. The same as he was describing about himself. He was very conscious of the suffering of human life. I, I was not conscious of it. Let me phrase it differently. It was, it was like a feeling inside of me that almost didn't have words. It was like, I must share. I must help in some way. And I was just, I, I was just totally beside myself because the impulse was so strong and the outlet didn't exist. And when I found the spiritual path through Ananda with the training that Swamiji would provide, <gasps> the day I'm just burst and that's where I've been all the rest of this time. And now Swamiji writes this because he's saying to people, don't do it for the applause. Think about who you are inside and who you want to be and be that person. Because that, that's what your heart is really longing for. And if you become famous in the process and if many people applaud you, that's nice. I mean, that may mean people's opinions are not necessarily worth that much, but that may mean you're actually doing something useful. But the real useful is that I set myself a high ideal and I didn't flinch. I didn't overcome the obstacles. I stuck with it. I was saying to some of my friends who have shared the spiritual path with me for decades, I said, you know, we started young. Now we're not young. We took on many impossible projects and not all of them failed. <laughs> the other way of saying it is, this is a life worth living. We're not about to rest on our laurels, but it's nice to know that we could. So let me read now what Swamiji said. Do nothing for applause. Act for the far more satisfying approval of your own conscience. Someone once asked me, what has motivated you to do all the things you've done in your life? Conscience? Yes, certainly. But conscience in reaction to the sorrows I had seen in the world, brought on by people's ignorance of who and what they really were as children of our universal Father, Mother, God. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.